Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Author's Corner. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, Tolter.net, for more information. Twitter, Tolter, Neil S. Haley, Facebook. LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Tolter, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus. And also on Periscope, at Total Tutor. And I'm really excited about this guest. I'm excited to welcome the program. New York Times best-selling author, author of The Fight, a secret service agent's inside account of security failings in the political machine, Dan Bongino. Dan, thanks for calling, and how are you? Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Dan, you got to be just so blown away with the success of your book so far, being a New York Times best-selling author and uh, being able to get your message out there. Yeah, it, it did. Uh, you know, the first time it happened, this is book number two. And the, the first time with the first book where we hit the bestseller list, I got a, a tweet actually from a, uh, you know, I do all my own social media yeah. from uh, some random guy I'd never met who said, hey, congrats on making the New York Times bestseller list. And my wife and I almost fell off the couch. Yeah, we were surprised. You know, people ask me all the time, what's it like to be an author? I said, I don't know. I'm a guy who writes books. I'm not an author. You're going to have to go ask an author. <laughs> so I, I was really uh, I was really stunned. Uh, and the second book is doing exceptionally well uh, again. And, yeah, it means a lot to me that people have found some kind of meaning in the book. So I appreciate it. Well, Dan, I continued success, and, and congrats again. But let's look at one specifically enough looking at your job as a Secret Service agent and to know what's the security failings. We see it all the time in, in, in the history of our country, this happens, where you're like, how did these things happen? So you definitely thought at this time it was time to kind of tell some of your story, wasn't it? To tell what's going on yeah. when you were a Secret Service agent. Yeah, absolutely, because we're we're at one of these inflection points right now where we have to really ask, our, ask ourselves as, as, as a nation, you know, what direction are we willing to take this in? And so I open up the book with the story of the White House fence. Of course, Omar Gonzalez jumped the fence, made it into the White House. And I tell the story about how that happened. You know, I don't give up any security secrets in there, but I tell the story, the bureaucratic mess and how it happened, but why that bureaucratic mess is going to be repeated again and again. You name the problem. Social security, anti-poverty programs, presidential security, FBI cases, it doesn't matter. And I've gotten a lot of feedback on that chapter from people who were shocked reading it they were stunned. They really they couldn't believe how bad and poorly government is managed right now. And the fence, the White House fence, is 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 a is an, a perfect example. I mean, think about it. Right, everybody in the Secret Service knew that the fence was was a failure. Everyone, and right. yet nobody did anything for decades. And I explained the reasons why. I think it's going to kind of blow your mind because people are going to be shocked. Well, I, I think so, Dan. And in, in, in the security of the president, do you feel that that's always a a, a thing that could still need improvement, or you think that it's it's beyond beliefly that, that it's impossible? It's like a, a, a something that really you, you guys focus on all the time that 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 protection's there. It's more about the inside of getting there to the possibility, right? Well, what the good here's the good news, and I cover this in the second chapter. The, you know, the Secret Service now they still do a lot of things right. It's because they have some really, really good people. I know they've had some negative press. I know there've been some obvious shortcomings that should never, uh, you know, be run away from or apologized for. But I explain how their advanced model works and why they're successful. I mean, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have the most threatened man on earth, the President of the United States, in this case, Barack Obama, and he hasn't had as much as a hangnail in office. Clearly, the Secret Service does something right. I kind of explain it a little bit, what's going on there. And they have gotten rid of a series of, in my opinion, what were really – Good people, but bad managers. They just managed the Secret Service into the ground because they all had this attitude of, well, you know, that's the way we've always done it, so don't change it. Yeah, but that doesn't work. Like the camera we're using here doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, but don't say anything because that's the way we've always done it. And that, they're really getting away from that. I think the negative backlash, which has been unbelievable, deservedly so, from the White House fence incident, has really incentivized this next generation of managers to look at what's going wrong in the Secret Service and say, hey, fellas, Ladies, how do we change this? So I think, that, yeah, the future's bright. 
with you, Sprite. And, and the question, because, again, I want people to pick up the book, and that's when I always interview authors. I want to get to know more and more about Dan. In the short period of time I have you on, again, uh, uh, that, that everyone should pick up the fight. Again, it's available on Amazon, all bookstores and all those things, and you can follow Dan Bongino. We'll talk about that in a second. But, Dan, looking at being a Secret Service agent and working under different presidents, that's 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 the challenge, especially if you're a specific political party or thing, a thought process when you're you're behind the scenes and all these things, and you're seeing it all unfold right before your eyes in different situations, right? Yeah, it it, it was really tough for me. I mean, the whole Obamacare fight. I was yeah. there. I was one of the lead agents on on President Obama's detail, and you know, my politics are obvious. I don't hide my politics in the book. I run for office as a conservative Republican. I don't make any, uh, uh, you know, apologies for that. And it was tough. And But, you know, on, on the other side of it, it never changed in, in the way I did my job ever. And, and I've never seen anyone in the Secret Service, Democrat or Republican, say, oh, you know what, I don't really like this guy, so I'm not. It just didn't work. <laughs> if, you, if you even hinted that, you'd be fired the next day. There's no question about it. And to avoid... Any even the perceptions of impropriety. When I knew I wanted to leave, I was on the president's detail, President Obama. I knew I had to go. I knew the country was in really bad shape, and I knew I had to leave to do something else. I didn't leave off the president's detail. I went to the Baltimore field office first, spent about six months there, kind of calmed down, worked some criminal cases, and then left. Because I didn't want people to think like there was some black helicopter conspiracy. Like, oh my God, he walked off President Obama's DT, he must know something. You know, I just was very careful about that. And even to this day, I, I don't get into any personal politics with the, with the president. I mean, a pers- I should say personal characteristics. I always get into the politics. But he, he was good to me. He's a nice guy, so was his family. It's not personal. It's just a political difference. That's it. And I'm glad you say that, Dan, because a lot of times we make political more about the personal. The person there are good liberals, meaning nice people to hang out with. It's not like I'm a conservative too, Dan, but I mean I interview celebrities all the time, and I know they're definitely not, and they're great people. It's just that they have a different political ideal. And if we can't discuss politics, Dan, in in the workplace, we can't discuss things and not try not to offend people. Forget about it. You know, you know, it's yeah. important to say, hey, it's a good person, but yet. I'm, I believe the country should go this direction while somebody else believes it differently. We shouldn't make it personal. We should make it politics. And I think that's what you're trying to do, Dan. Yeah, and it doesn't the really work. Also, and what you're doing running. Yeah, right. and it doesn't really work either as a tactic. You know, if, you, you know, if you're starting out the conversation, and, and listen, I'm as guilty as I, there are times I've been very upset. I'm not going to sit here and play holy yeah. in the now that I've never, I mean, I, I, I rant on my podcast all the time. But I do make a concerted effort to be very diplomatic about things because it just doesn't work. I mean, if the first words out of your mouth to your, you know, your liberal friends you're debating with is, you know, you're a jerk. Uh, I can't stand you. Your politics stink, and, and I and I and I hope the plague visits you. I mean, what 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 does it matter? What else you say? I mean, uh, oh, by, by the way, let me explain the Laffer curve and the idea, you know, free market principles and third party payers. They've already shut down. The whole idea that they're going to listen to you is nonsense. I mean, I remember knocking on doors, running for office, and I would knock on Democratic doors. I mean, you can tell their voter registration when you knock on the right. door. And I'd say, hey, listen, I know I'm running for office as a Republican. Don't wait. I'd say, don't slam the door. I'm just here to tell you here's my card. If I win, I'm the congressman for you, too, and I'm here to help. And I never, ever got any negative feedback. Matter of fact, the only guy who ever spit in my face unintentionally because he was screaming – was a Republican I knocked on the door who was on the phone and didn't want to be bothered. That was it. I mean, I knocked on 7,000 doors, and I never got any negative right. feedback at all other than a couple of loose cannons. Well, you had to learn how to have patience being a Secret Service agent for sure and patience with lots of people, and you, you really are a people person. Dan, best place we could purchase your book, learn more about you, listen to your podcast, all of the Dan Bongino brand. Where can we go? Where's the best place? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at D. Bongino on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Dan Bongino. And uh, I write every day a conservative review, uh, and my podcast's available there. It's on iTunes as well. So I think uh, and the book's on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. So I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, definitely reach out to your publisher to have a longer conversation. And anytime you're welcome to come back. So definitely I'll reach out to you. Take care, and thanks for calling. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Okay, that was Author's Corner. Take care, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and excited to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and senior and seniors publishing and all these other businesses. How are you, Paul? And I know you're excited about our guests from Australia, right? Absolutely. We have uh, Paul Rushworth Brown with us today. He is a fantastic uh historical fiction writer uh he has a the trilogy out just now right the the last book is out now and uh then he's going to tell us all about the the whole trilogy there so welcome paul thanks paul hello neil how are you all right so let's talk about how this all started for you in writing kind of explain it to me okay so um oh, about three years ago well i've always been a history nerd um about three years ago i started delving into um my family history and trace my furthest away ancestor back in 1590 in a small village in Yorkshire called Howarth. And um, a year later, I thought, you know, who was this guy? This Thomas Rushworth uh, from 1590. Um, and uh, so I actually did a lot of research and fig- I, I wanted to know who was a peasant living on the moors of Yorkshire. And I wanted to know how he actually lived. And then uh, that, from that research, I actually, uh, um, turn that into sort of like a, 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 a whodunit, 1590. And, um, you know, a little bit of romance, a little bit of spice, a little bit of, um, um, you know, very, very uh, authentic and, accu- uh, and researched accurately and um, to the point. And that was The Birth of Skullduggery, the, uh, the first novel in the, uh, in the trilogy. Absolutely. Um, so let's go... Uh, w- once you decided to write it, what kind of gave you the ideas for your book? Um, well, <laughs> a lot of people ask me that because, um, and it's, uh, you know, like when I write, I, I never do any planning or anything. I just start writing and then you know, having a, a, a sort of like crazy imagination as I do. Just one thing led to another. And, and this uh, Tommy Ru- Thomas Rushworth, um, had a family, and uh, basically, what I've done is I've I've um, built up a whole um, historical, um, I suppose, uh, whodunit and thriller um, around his around his family, which which I you know, I mean I traced the Thomas Rushworth, but I really didn't know much about who his family was, but um, it, you know, he was a copy holder on on the uh, on, on the moors of Yorkshire, and I've been there. And my God, what a what a what a uh, a difficult difficult place it would have been to uh, to live back in back in the 16th century. So I don't know if I asked, asked answered your question then. <laughs> no, you definitely did. Like creating characters, how did that? How does that work when you create characters and develop characters? Um, that's something uh, you know, like. Um, you, you know, after the third novel, um, I mean, I actually went back and I rewrote uh, Skullduggery. And um, it's something that, uh, you know, you, you definitely get uh, better and better at as, as, um, as Paul would know, as, um, as you, uh, as you continue writing over a period of three years. But how I develop them is just, uh, um, you know, just from, from, you know, Tommy Rushworth or Thomas Rushworth. You know, he'd have a little bit of me in him. He'd have a little bit of my father. Um, obviously, um, having, having a, a good imagination uh, helps. And um, yeah, they just uh, they just develop with with the story. Um, and um, you know, like Tom, Tommy Rushworth is, is 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 just a young boy, and his father dies from consumption. Um, and he's basically left with the uh, the tenancy of this ten acre plot um, that he has to go to the steward of the manor and and, and try and keep. And um, you know, it, it, but basically, you see a young man um, who's trying to um, survive on the moors of Yorkshire. See a young man develop from a boy into a man over that period of time. And with that, there, you know, there's a romance and there's a there's a uh, 
there's a a, a a really interesting marriage, you know, because um, once I started researching the way they do 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 marriage back in the 16th century is totally different. The customs and that to obviously what we what we do today. So that's a very very interesting component of um, of, of of the story. What are your what is your hope for the trilogy of your three books? Oh, HBO. It's just made for HBO. <laughs> you know, I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, like with uh, uh, things like uh, Poldark and Vikings and and uh, those those types of uh, of shows. Um, you know, people love those like uh, that, that type of miniseries. And the trilogy itself is actually, you know, like, I mean, it deserves to be on the screen without sort of like, uh, I suppose, bragging or anything. It, it, it's a story that deserves to be on the screen. So I'm just, I'm just waiting. It's waiting, right? <laughs> you got to wait for sure in the process and getting it out there. And so ultimately looking at to get it on screen is such a important part of the process. And your fans are your, are, what, what is the feedback with your fans that have read all three books? Well, the third one comes out on November 22nd, right? So, um, you know, it's being splashed across uh, social media. I only just got the uh, the final formatted copy yesterday. Um, so that comes out on November, November 22nd. But, um, yeah, it's eagerly awaited. Um, you know, like uh, um, from had a advanced reader's copy sent out to a to a number of a number of uh, people that are, a number of uh, readers and they loved it they, they can't wait for it to uh, to get out there Great. all right well that, it's such an interesting thing paul any questions no i, I this is i mean it's a fascinating series i've, I've uh, talked to paul before and, and uh it it's uh definitely a series on my list to read um it, it's uh it, it, historical fiction as you know with, with mine is closer historical fiction but but i i love historical fiction so and i and paul has done a terrific job on on actually putting his whole family in the books and, and moving them forward through time so. yeah um so the, the the third one the second one's called uh 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 Winter Red, or sorry, 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 Red Winter Journey, and the third one's called Dream of Courage, and uh, I, I'm really excited about Dream of Courage because it's uh, it's more of a uh, a thriller. It's a um, it's a thriller set in the early 1700s, and uh, that's probably a little bit um, more, uh, I suppose, pr progressive than than the other two, where um, the story actually takes place in sort of like larger cities and. Obviously, back in that time in England, there was cutthroats, there was pirates, there was um, high women. So there's, you know, there's a touch of that in it, and uh, there's a very, very, a very, very uh, brutal character in there by the name of uh, Jacob Wilding, and uh, I'm very interested in, in seeing how people react to this, this brutish fellow. Great. All right, great. Where's the best place people can find information on you, purchase your book, and learn more about you? Uh, so there's a website. Uh, probably the easiest way to get in there is to um, to go, uh, do a search on Google, Howarth, H-A-W-O-R-T-H, backslash, Skullduggery, backslash, Australia. And the, without there's even a, uh, a, a free copy of, of Skullduggery on there for people to go to the website. All right. People need to check that out so then they can go and read one of them, right? And then get to yep. then buy all the rest of the books and read oh, the whole so. series for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, appreciate it, sir. Thanks again. See you guys. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. I'm excited to welcome the program. Paul Hollis, author of the Hall of Man series and owner of many different companies. Paul, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. Uh, I am today, Neil. We have a very special guest, uh, Marjorie Deering. She's been doing some fantastic writing in the in the horror uh, industry, and and she reminds me a lot of Stephen King. So I'm I'm oh. pleased to have her pleased to have her here, and uh, and and welcome, Marjorie. Well, thank you very much. Like I say, my first Zoom call. Thank you for inviting me. TV show podcast. Uh, you know, it's it's great. I love horror. Uh, tell me the favorite genre of horror because i was talking to somebody else in an interview yesterday 
and I, you know, I go into Friday the 13th, I go into Freddie, I go into Michael Myers, I go into even we go back to Psycho. What are your favorite horror in your horror genre that really that that like motivates you why you're a horror writer? Well, I tell you what, um, I am so old that my favorites go clear back to when I was a kid in the dark ages. Um, so I always enjoyed things like the vampire movies and the werewolves, which, of course, my latest book deals with the werewolf. Um, so anyhow, it's the old stuff. You know, it's not so much. I love Stephen King. You know, that's great. But what inspires me is remembering old movies I used to watch when I was young. And the funny right. thing and is, it, now now that I'm older, I tend not to watch horror movies at night or alone. But I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's the thing. We enjoy it. We enjoy to be scared, but we don't want to be scared when we're alone. Uh, let's talk about why that you're so into vampires and different things like that and how you kind of created your characters through that. Well, I think mine has a little different twist than most werewolf stories because you, it's not an evil, evil, evil creature through and through. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I think anybody that reads the story will understand what, you know, who's read it will understand what I mean. Um, you get to know more about the werewolf than you do in other werewolf stories. It's not just the attacks and then they're gone. If you understand what I mean. Right. No, I totally get it, you know, and we don't want to give away anything. We want to think about you as a writer, how you create this. How do you come up with this? And how do you use even like your daily life to create these characters? based on specific favorite characters growing up? I don't know how I do it. I sit down and I start writing and it just kind of takes over. I, I don't have a formula for it. Uh, I see my stories like a movie in my head. And I write based on that. It's the same way I do my dialogue. I think dialogue is my probably my strong suit. Um, and I hear it. I hear the people talking. Um, and I just feel like I get to know my characters and I base it on that. How I see them, how I hear them. No, I hear you. How you see them and how you hear them. That, that's, that's definitely uh, part of it for sure. And when you decided to write, what made you want to become a writer? I grew up in kind of an odd situation. When I was 10 months old, my father bought a golf course. Uh, with a partner, and it was in a very small town. I didn't have a lot of friends around. We were we lived at the end of the golf course of the country club, um, and we were told, "Don't bother the members," you know. <laughs> so anyhow, I I became an observer of people, and I don't know if I'm an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert, but I love watching people, but. I'm satisfied doing that. I'm not a joiner. I'm not a person who seeks the limelight. I'd rather sit in a corner and watch. So uh, I think that kind of stirred up my imagination, and I started writing characters. Uh, if you want to know the truth, I think what actually the very, very first thing that got me started writing was an assignment by my one of my grade school teachers. She told us this was supposed to be a punctuation lesson. Write the longest sentence you can using proper punctuation. Mine ended up a page long and it was a story. <laughs> this crazy. is kind of fun. That's crazy. Okay. Because <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> it, 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 definitely, it definitely does. And what makes a writer, in your opinion, Kind of dive, dive in, especially makes what makes a horror writer. Because once you started writing horror, I'm sure you looked at other books. Well, Stephen King's your your idol. What makes a horror writer? 
I don't know. Maybe I've got a strange twist somewhere in me. I, I don't know. Um, I have a very vivid imagination. Like I say, I did grow up watching horror movies, so I think that was part of my just growing up. You know, uh, I enjoyed it, and I love to write for the purpose of entertaining people. I don't expect I'll ever be wealthy from it. I don't expect to ever be famous for it. But I sure get a kick out of knowing people are reading the stories and enjoying it. So um, I am really quite surprised that the horror within is doing very, very well. People are loving it. Um, and that pleases me. That just pleases the dickens out of me. Matter of fact, right now I'm starting to, I've been working on the sequel to the horror within. So, so you're getting a lot of good feedback. What is the feedback you're getting? The feedback is there's nothing I didn't like about this story. Five stars. <laughs> Basically, that sort of thing. I mean, uh, I think people are engaged by the characters. It's set in 1919 uh, in a small coal mining town in Ohio. Um, some of the characters are Eastern European immigrants. Others are just regular Joes from, you know, next door. Uh from the next town, whatever, but they work in the coal mining industry and suddenly they find themselves under attack and they don't know what it is. Uh, and Eric Laska is a young man who just came back from fighting in World War uh, I. So like I say, it's 1919. And he comes back and he shortly thereafter finds out that uh, he's under suspicion for one of these killings. And nobody believes the stories going around from people who've seen this thing or can tell them, you know, he's out to prove he didn't do it. And there's something strange in the forest, which borders their town. Um in any case, people are really loving it. I, I think part of it is because of the time period. It's a little different. Um, the characters are a little different. Uh, and believe it or not, I am currently in the process of having an audiobook done on this. And I'm excited. Great. Oh, and my poor right. narrator has to do a Polish accent and learn how to say some Polish words. But it's going beautifully. It's it's great. Well, it definitely seems like it's going great. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. So where is the best place people can find information on you, purchase a book, and learn more about you? Where can they go? Well, I would suggest just going to the Amazon book site. Um, put in my name, you know, books by Marjorie Swift Daring. That's my writer's name. Uh, you can go there. If you want to get in touch with me, you can go to Facebook. Um, and that would be the HTTP, et cetera. And it's facebook.com Marjorie.daring. And you can also, the best way to get a hold of me if you want to is to go to my, uh, to my email. And that's Marjorie Daring. That's M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E. D-O-E-R-I-N-G 99 at gmail.com. I like to keep it simple. So All I right, think well, those are the best choices. Well, fantastic. We appreciate it, Marjorie. It's great to hear more about you and your books, and congratulations on your success. Well, thank you very much, Neil. Are right, you listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. But one, I didn't have language for it. I didn't know there was such a thing as actually being a highly sensitive person. So what I was feeling and experiencing, all I registered was, I'm different. There's something wrong with me. And I did everything to try to hide it, counteract it, push through it pretend that wasn't me and to fit in to the best that I can or could. I think this is probably a good place to say that the research shows and states that there's 20% of the world population that is born highly sensitive. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here 
where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones. Today's guest is Heather Dominic. She's the founder of businessmiracles.com and creator of the highly sensitive leadership training program. For more than a decade, Heather has been training highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders to do things differently by working less and making more of a social impact and a higher income. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you so much, Marisa. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have a great conversation. I love it. Well, I especially love... Talk to me about highly sensitive entrepreneurs, because I feel like I resonate with it, even though I'm not really sure what your perspective is on it. So tell me a little bit about what that is. Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, highly sensitive is not a phrase coined by me. It comes out of research from the 1990s. One woman in particular is most well known for the research. Her name is Dr. Elaine Aaron. She's most well known because she wrote the book, The Highly Sensitive person. So what it means in short to be highly sensitive is that you are a person who is born into the world with a nervous system that takes in stimulation at a much higher degree than someone who's not highly sensitive. So you can think sight, sound, smell, touch, but also energy, information. Where my work comes in is first and foremost, I didn't know that I was highly sensitive until I was already self-employed for about six to seven years. And at that point, I had brought my business across the million dollar mark for the first time, and I nearly killed myself doing it and thought, oh my gosh, there, there has to be something wrong with me. Like, why, why am I... Why am I literally drowning and feel like I'm going to die having created what it is that I said that I wanted? As part of a dark night of the soul, I learned that I was a highly sensitive person. And once I got over the fact that that didn't mean that I was weak, but it just meant that my nervous system processes the world differently, I thought, okay. I can do this, but I'm just going to have to do this business thing in a different way. And from that point forward, I did. And then I started mentoring and training other highly sensitives who also feel called to be self-employed and or leaders. And now it's been over a decade with much success for all of us. That's fantastic. So how did you how did you not know you were highly sensitive? There must have been signs that you just didn't recognize before or thought that maybe, you know, I'm sensitive or maybe not even that word, but you you saw you must have had some uh behaviors or habits or feelings or something, you know, patterns in your life that led to it. Yes, that is such a great question that literally no one has ever asked me. Most people usually ask me that opposite, which is like, how did you know that you were highly sensitive? How did I not know that I was highly sensitive? Of course, I knew, right, like in my heart of hearts. But one, I didn't have language for it. I didn't know there was such a thing as actually being a highly sensitive person. So what I was feeling and experiencing, all I registered was I'm different. There's something wrong with me. And I did everything to try to hide it, counteract it, push through it, pretend that wasn't me and to fit in to the best that I can or could. I think this is probably a good place to say that the research shows and states that there's 20% of the world population that is born highly sensitive. So just from a probability standpoint, anyone who is highly sensitive tends to feel like the odd one out right? If you think like one in five of us, and that really contributes to the experience that I had, which is I must be a freak. I can't let anyone else know about this. And I have to do whatever I can to try to pretend that this isn't who I am. 
Did your did your parents know? Like, did your parent like growing up? Because you you recognize it. Did your parents like understand that you were different at all? I would say yes and no. The yes part was my sensitivity was definitely um, supported, right? Like just the the aspects that I now refer to in my work as our highly sensitive strengths, such as being very intuitive, being very creative, being a deep listener, deep thinker, deep feeler. My parents definitely knew that was part of who I was. And again, they encouraged that part. But in the same way that I didn't have that language, they didn't have that language, right? So there wasn't the support of like, oh, how do you help cultivate this for, you know, for a child to have it be something that can work for you rather than work against you? Right. And it's, you know, I, I totally relate to what you were saying. Not that I am sensitive that way, but some of the things that you described when you were growing up, I can relate to with my son. So I have two boys, they're 18 and 21. And it was really difficult when I was with them, raising them because they were complete opposites. So I had one son who all year round, even in the snow, was shorts, t-shirts, everything he had to touch, everything he had to mouth. He, even as, as he was always chewing on his shirt, even as a you know a, a middle schooler or high school, like everything he couldn't get enough of the world. Right, right. he had to just embrace it and touch and just everything was extreme and then you know music had to be extra loud and everything had to just be you know over the top then I had my younger son who was completely the opposite like he literally wore flannel pajamas under his clothes until the eighth grade like he everything he couldn't walk into a public bathroom it was too loud for him we couldn't go to a movie theater the music was too loud we couldn't um you know, he couldn't touch crayons. Like he would get in trouble. I had, I'd had to convince the teachers to have him use markers or pens because he wouldn't touch crayons because he didn't like the way they felt. And so everything to him, and now that he's older, um, you know, they, they would always say, oh, they're AD, ADD, right? And it's like, no, they're not ADD. They're sensitive. There's a difference. And, yeah. um, and so they, they didn't really know how to treat it. You know, it was like, there was nothing to treat, except I would have, to, I was constantly trying to convince the teachers to change how they operate with my own kids. And it was really hard. Um, but now that it's older, you know, my son, you know, he talks about it. He's like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for him to speak out. He always feels different. He always feels like, you know, he's, he's an introvert, whereas my other son is an extrovert. And then I'm completely opposite. And they know, uh, you know, I'm highly sensitive where I'm empathic. And I have a lot of experiences with spirits and entities and things that kind of just show up. And, um, and so we all have our different <laughs> types of being sensitive and it's, you know, it does impact you and it does impact your life. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. I don't know your younger son's name, but whatever his name is, I get you. Joey. I, <laughs> Joey. <laughs> Joey, you and me, I totally get you. And I think that's, what's most important. What you ended with is that not everyone is the same. So that was definitely my experience when I would, you know, attend trainings about how to be successfully self-employed. I would hire coaches. I would join masterminds and and yet everyone that was in those trainings, in those coaching programs, in those masterminds was treated as if they were all the same. And there was also messaging that like, you know, if you're not getting this, if you're not creating success in this way, then, you know, it's you. Like there's something wrong with you. Once I learned that I was highly sensitive, like I said, I had to like really do the work on my own and kind of put two and two together. And I was like, well, no, I can be successfully self-employed, but I'm going to have to go about things in a very different way. And, um, and there's such value in that one for, if there's a person who does desire something like being self-employed, you, you can do it in a different way, but also from a leader perspective, right? Even leading as a parent, which you so beautifully described is not everyone on your team, not everyone in your family is going to be the same. So how do we work with the strengths that everyone brings to the table? 
So what are some of the unique things? And I don't want you to spill all your secrets, right? But what 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 are some of the things that you could do if somebody's listening and they're, you know, and they are high, they identify themselves as being highly sensitive and they struggle and they're an adult, right? We're talking about adults and, and successful entrepreneurs. How what are some things that they could do to to help them? Yeah, for sure. Well, first and foremost, I would say, you know, accept it and even more so embrace it. Um, The fighting against it. And as I shared, I definitely speak from experience takes a lot of extra energy and really then ends up affecting and impacting the way that you're able to create the way that you're able to produce. So that's really first and foremost, it's like, this is who I am. And then from there, it's like, just kind of diving in to learn a little bit more of like, oh, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, what are some of the unique strength aspects that I do bring to the work that I do? There's a lot of highly sensitive people who are called to be self-employed specifically in service-based businesses because of our highly sensitive nature, which definitely includes empathy as one of our strengths, right? So you kind of like just think of the kind of like a, a rainbow, if you will, like empath, as you mentioned, is definitely like, you know, part of being highly sensitive when you look at that and you think like, oh, okay, like I'm actually really good at what I do. I feel called to do it because of who I am as a highly sensitive. How can that extend to things like marketing or selling or operations? What is a way that I can perhaps approach those things differently from my strengths perspective? And I don't have to just do them in the way that somebody who's not highly sensitive is doing that. And that's really where I would recommend starting, right? Like just accept, embrace, acknowledge, and then begin to adapt. That's great. Great advice. And, you know, and that's advice for a lot of people always kind of go your own route. It doesn't always have to be the status quo, right? Everything in life is way too rigid, rigid. And if we, and if we are really authentically ourselves, we bring in a uniqueness, to whatever business we're running or whatever it is that we're doing, that's not like anything else. And that is how you stand out, Absolutely. which is, which is difficult as a highly sensitive person to stand out. Like you're yeah. the, you're, you, you're a dichotomy here. Like it's, exactly. you know, successful exactly. entrepreneur be out there type a, but at the same time, very sensitive and kind of yeah. want to stay within. Right. But again, you can do it in a way, believe me, I have, right. And so many others that I mentor have as well. You can do it in a way that isn't just that type A or extrovert way, which I'm glad you mentioned that earlier too, because being highly sensitive doesn't always mean being introverted and being introverted doesn't always mean being highly sensitive. So again, there, we can open the box. That's all right. You can open the box and there can be ways with which to follow your heart, follow your passion, you know, what it is that you're meant to bring to the world through through being self-employed without having to go the type A hustle way. And I would say, especially now, right? Like there's just so much that's changing, that's, you know, disrupting. And we have the opportunity, I really believe, as highly sensitives to bring something to the table, to bring something new to the conversation. And that includes the conversation of being in business. That's great. I love it. You know, it is a new world out there. And, you know, I think, you know, I think in frequencies and vibrations, and I think our planet has physically elevated in the last 20 years, and my kids are part of it. And, uh, you know, I think being highly sensitive is part of that change and how we operate. You know, it's evolution. And I, I truly believe that sensitivity is because we're more in tune 
with our planet and with our universe, but there's no instructions on how to do it, right? <laughs> no I say that all the time. Like we are the pioneers. And I so appreciate that you said 20 years because this is my 20th year of being self-employed. I and, love it. Right? <laughs> That's and, great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like what a difference from like when I started to now and not just in myself, but like when I tell people, I was like, yeah, when I started my business, there was no social media, right? Not only was there no social media, there was no YouTube. So like, that's the time frame that we're talking here. Um, and we, yeah, things are meant Is to it, change. It, it has changed. Our, our society has changed significantly yes. in 20 years. Yes. Yes. So how is that pivoting over the, that time? Like, how is that pivoting what you did before to how we are today with everything is just thrown at you, you know, in small snippets, right? Like 10, 10 minutes shots or discussions or like our 15 minute podcast, because no one has an attention span for an hour anymore. Um, and everybody's so busy, right? How have you pivoted to support what you're doing? I so appreciate that word. That is so key. And it's not even just about the how to pivot. It's about the willingness to pivot. And truly as highly sensitives, when we're working from our strengths, we're actually poised to be able to pivot because one of our top, top strengths is intuition. So in all like smackdown honesty, there's so much that I do and decisions that I make based on my intuition. And it's what has allowed me to like sustain through all of the changes throughout 20 years um, to be able to pivot when necessary, like whether internal or external pandemic. So like, huge example, right? But it's so, so present that um, years ago, I started for myself a practice that I refer to as intuitive planning. And then I actually started teaching it to the members in my highly sensitive leadership training programs about, I guess, like five years now. And oh my gosh, like what a difference that has made to not just say again, like, oh, I'm highly sensitive or I'm an empath, but oh, when it comes to business planning, we have to go do it the way that those people who are not highly sensitive teach to do it. But you can actually use your intuition to business and life plan. So I would say that is one of, yeah, one of the major keys that has allowed me to sustain and I really believe will allow me to continue to sustain because again pivot is the name of the game nobody knows right now what's coming down the pike and we all have to pretend I mean, excuse me we all have to stop pretending that we should know right? right but instead develop the skills to be able to adjust adapt pivot as needed yeah yeah this this and you you nailed it in this day Every industry, I don't care what kind of industry you are, whether it's sports or energy or, uh, you know, the media, media, marketing, it doesn't matter what industry, everything is upside down. It's a crapshoot. It really it is. is. And it really you is. To, you can, you can forecast based on the always, whatever it is you're trying to do or plan, but you really have to be on top of your game to stay yeah. ahead. That's the skill. That is it. That is it. There is no predictability. There's no formula. I just keep saying that with all the, you know, the the noise that I see on social that says, yes, yes, you can have a formula. No, no, no formula. But what you can do is you can, especially as a person who's highly sensitive, really develop those strengths that will absolutely support and lead you forward, regardless of what's happening. And that is just what I teach over and over and over again. It's great. If somebody we're, we're out of time, but real quick, if somebody is running a business and they hear the episode and then, you know, they're like, wait, I think I'm sensitive. What's like a, 
100%, if you do this, you are highly sensitive and you need to call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I would say, take the assessment that's on my website. It's totally free and you'll get a free success guide that will help you with that. Um, so you can do that. But I would say probably like, you know, just the description that you shared, like of your son is like, you know, it might not be for you that you have difficulty touching crayons, but you just, I uh, just, my upstate just came out crayons. crayons. <laughs> um, but you know, that you recognize like, oh, I do have a different uh, impact or with sensitivity, such as like, I hear things differently. I might register things as too loud, or I can maybe hear things when someone's talking that somebody else can't, or I have a different connection to fabric or wow. When I have too much information coming at me, I can feel not just, you know, like a to-do list sense of overwhelm, but I feel it in my physical body, anything along those lines, that's probably an indicator, you know, take the assessment, start to, again, like just acknowledge, embrace, right. And then, you know, work with the fact that you are highly sensitive and just really, really know it, it, it doesn't need to hold you back. That's great. Accept it. We all have to accept who we are, but then leverage it to our benefit. Yeah. yeah so well said. That's great. Where can people find you? Businessmiracles.com. www.businessmiracles.com. Fantastic. Well, it's been great having you on the show, Heather. I really appreciate it. I love getting to know you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Toss C3 Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Amazing. Excited. Let's talk browsers. Oh, yes. And this again, this comes from cybersecuritynews.com. And you know what? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is this is scary. Hackers use fake browser updates to install malware on users' computers. This uh, malware distribution on users' computers is achieved through phony browser updates presented on websites that hackers have hijacked. Uh -huh. This is even more scary because of that. When a user uses a a, a hacked website, they may see a message, uh, you know, basically proposing to be from the browser's developers, such as Chrome, Firefox, or Edge, advising them to update their browser. The link leads the users to download harmful software instead of a secure browser update. So this means we really even have to think more, Greg. And I've seen this before at times when I was using Chrome years ago that it was really becoming a, but Chrome's really gotten their act together in certain things, especially with certain websites compared to using Safari. But this is scary, especially if you're on a website and you want to really view it and you think it's safe. And that means who's liable? Is that website liable? There's a lot of things to think about. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of nuts. And, you know, the or article that you just read, they were talking about people landing on a malicious website itself, right? So they were, yeah. they were already in the house of the hacker. So how did they right. get there? Let's talk about that first. Let's just unpack this thing real quick. So they got there by clicking on a link that they thought was taking them, let's say, to, uh, to Chrome or whatever, wherever, to, to do some up upgrades. And instead, they were going to one of these fake URLs that look exactly like the original one. We've talked about it a million times. Cyrillic characters look like English characters in the letter. You click on it and you're done. Easiest way to do that, ladies and gentlemen, is just hand type in the URL of where you want to go. End of story. You go to the right place. Um, second thing to make sure this doesn't happen to you is make sure you have a high enterprise level um, endpoint detection and response system that plugs into your browser. What this will do is constantly check the websites that you go to. Um, the code on the pages that you bring up and keep you safe. If anything was going to be malicious, it'll just kill it, quarantine it, stop it. it, won't happen to you. This is really important to make sure this doesn't happen. Okay, so what happens now? You go to these places, you click on, um, you know, Chrome download, Firefox download, uh, Safari, 
Edge, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens? Um, well, the JavaScript or HTML code is injected directly you know, through the traffic into your system, and it automatically will download these malicious payloads. Now, how's another way you could get it? Well, hackers could take out ads on normal websites like ESPN.com. You know, those annoying pop-ups that come up or yeah. all the things that are on the side, right? So there are ways to put ads up that will pass muster, if you will, of the publishing company that's, you know, you're paying to put them there because it's going to call back to itself to get the malicious code once somebody clicks on it, as opposed to having the malicious code on the website at all times. Now, let's talk about that one. There's ways that hackers put malicious web, web code on websites in ads or pictures or images that are active, if you will. It's called a drive-by attack. And what will happen is the drive-by is your mouse pointer. You just drag your mouse pointer over and infect an image, and boom, as my CIO likes to say, Bob's your uncle. They got you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they, de they definitely have you. And so it's like, and I think it goes back to, Greg, we see so many people that just don't pay attention to these things are just going in their mosey on the regular day. I'm just, what about the whole thing about if, let's say this happened at neilhaley.com, God forbid, something, a hacker was able to cloak there and then they clicked on something. Is the website liable in any way? Well, the only way they could that could happen at neilhaley.com is that they would have to get into your back end, right? So if you're using, uh, you know, one of these, with one of these applications, um, you know, to run your website, you know, WordPress, uh, in right. the old days, Joomla, that type of thing, they would have to have had access to that or hack the hosting company that you have to get into your files and edit your code. What more likely would happen is that they would find neilhaley.com and they would just buy a, that exact same domain, but one of the letters would look like, let's say, an A or an E or, a, or an L, but it wouldn't be. And to the discerning eye, you still can't tell. You see what I'm saying? And oh, then yeah. when they click on that, they're, they're like, quote, stolen your digital web identity. But when a user clicks on that, intending to want to work with you or go to your show or whatever, then boom, they're going right to that guy, hacker's site, or it could be a gal. That's crazy. Because I start thinking about that, Greg, and I'm like, that really can happen. And it's, it, it's, it's a scary thing for sure. And that, again, we talk about it every day. And I think, Greg, if you were giving a tip to the average person, an employee, even an owner of a company, what do you do when you're on the World Wide Web, when you're on your phone? Do you always have to stay focused so you don't make these silly mistakes? Yeah, be super vigilant. You know, first off, <clears throat> let's be really careful not to get smished, right? So that's the SMS, the text messaging, phishing attacks that... I get at least 10 a day of these things, you know, get your BMW needs service. Uh, you know, it's a political campaign thing. Uh, you need to update your credit card on Amazon. Oh, your Netflix is about to expire. Any of these ring a bell? Oh, uh, they always do. I mean, yeah. I see. Yeah, exactly. So be super vigilant on text, especially most people use text for communication. So if you're getting ads and crap, just click on the bottom. It says uh, report as junk. You click that, reports it as junk, it throws it away in, in good cases. If you keep on getting over and over again, like badgered, then you can block that phone number so it won't come on anymore. Sure, they'll get used. They'll, they'll come another way with a different number eventually the next time, but it might be keep you safe for a you know, few days, week, month or whatever. The other thing you need to do, be super vigilant with your emails. You know, I can't tell you how many, you know, phishing, thank God my staff is so capable and so trained, but on a daily basis, you know, I'll get something from my CFO. Can you please just tell me if this is okay? Uh, or even I'll get something that I'm unsure about. I'll send it to my, my security team and I'll have them throw it into the sandbox, you know, and detonate it and see, Hey, what was it? You know, so we can tell our customers, you know, what was the attack? What were they doing? And so on. Cause it's important to follow these things, you know, and see these indicators of, of compromise that they might leave on your system um, so that you can keep keep notification to your to your clients, to your own business, and to yourself to keep yourself safe. So if you do get an email that looks odd or it looks exact or whatever, just go up into the email field field on your iPhone or your Android. You know, click on that email 
field, the from, you know, and it'll show you the URL, uh, the domain, if you will, on the end. And in most cases, you'll see it has nothing to do with like Amazon or Netflix or, or whatever company you're, you're getting an email from. All right. And the best place to go right now, if you're concerned about any of these things, especially organizations, libraries, big infrastructures that, you know, you have a lot of employees in different ways and you could be hacked and it could just and ransom like so many people. Once they get in the system, it's too late that you got to work with someone like Greg, who's an expert in cybersecurity. Go to tossc3.com right now and schedule a call with Greg today. We appreciate it, Greg. Another great topic and a, and a great explanation from the, when we read the news to really hearing it from a specialist like yourself. Oh my gosh, we got to watch out for these things. So thanks again, Greg. Got it, Neil. All right. That was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. Great. Let's change next time. Uh, Two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.